As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our look at the Champions League round of 16, CONCACAF Champions League and the latest USMNT roster drop. On this show, we're going to discuss Liverpool's lack of fight at the Bernabeu, Erling Haaland doing Erling Haaland things, Porto's attempt at last minute drama, Napoli making history, the squad that US will put forward in the Nations League and we'll get to CONCACAF Champions League, of course, but we might switch over to talk about baseball halfway through. It's what Fox <laughs> would want. My name's Ryan Bailey joining me today, a man who loves Cooper Cup and appreciates his gridiron achievements. Taylor yeah. Rockwell, hello. Hello, yes. I took some shots at people named Cooper, especially people named Cooper who aspire to play in the NFL, and was immediately reminded that Cooper Cup was the MVP, what, like two years ago in the Super Bowl? So... Yeah, that might be my blunder. That's my bad. Uh, apologies to all the many, many Coopers out there who who took offense. I've, I was doing a lot of soul searching. It's introspective time for me to, to think about what I've done wrong. Do you remember that TV show, Hanging with Mr. Cooper? That was cool, wasn't it? Was that Mark Curry? Yes, I do. I do indeed remember Hanging with Mr. Cooper because like, two different actors in there showed up in like very serious roles later on in their lives. And I was just sort of blown away by like, come on, you, you play basketball in like a, a teen, a middle school slash high school where no one ever ages. You don't have serious roles. That's not allowed. Indeed. Joining us today, Taylor, a man who's definitely old enough to remember watching Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Joe Lowry, hello. Yeah, I know so much about that show. Um, I can tell you some facts about it. There's someone named Mr. Cooper in mm-hmm. it. Um, I that's, you guys already know about it. I don't need to go any further, but that, mm-hmm. that feels like a good place to start. I seem to remember he was a teacher. Is that right? Was he a high school I teacher? I believe he was a basketball coach. Uh, uh, so hopefully, I, I, I wonder how well that would, that would go over today. But yes, uh, I think he was a basketball coach for a middle slash high school in California somewhere. Probably That's Oakland. right. I put it in the, in, in the basket with Hang Time, with California Dreams, with Saved by the Bell, all those shows I used to watch yeah. uh, um, and Joe is very familiar with. Yes, indeed. Yes, I know bells. Old. I know many things about bells. <laughs> 
and being saved by them. Why don't we save this podcast and steer it in the correct direction? We've got much to get through today, gents. Let's start off with the USMNT roster drop, 24-man roster drop for the CONCACAF Nations League games in the upcoming window. Uh, Taylor, what did we make of this uh, list of gentlemen who will be kicking the soccer ball potentially? Do you want me to talk about the players or do you want me to tell you my honest feeling? Well, let's go with the latter first. Uh, former latter. Okay. Uh, the truth is that... Text, <laughs> always takes me a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the truth is that I think I am in the camp of people that feels like there is, I guess, what, one decision maker on the men's side of the program at this point with everybody stepping down, everybody uh, resigning to take other jobs or uh, being under investigation, which has since concluded. But that means Anthony Hudson is basically the only person there sort of making decisions. I'm sure there are other people involved. I'm sure there's U.S. soccer personnel and staff. But it still feels like, yeah, that's great. He called up some people. We'll see what happens. But it still has that feeling that we've talked about uh, that we had with Dave Sarakin when you can have players called in. You can have Zendejas declaring that he's going to play for the U.S. There's continued recruitment of Florin Balogun. And, and all of these are positive steps. It just sort of feels like until we know who's taking over, who's in charge, what the plan is for the program, this is all a bit treading water. And so you can tread water successfully and look very good doing it. But at the same time, there is still a feeling for me that there's just a little bit like, oh, OK, and what happens next? Uh, so these are meaningful games. It's CONCACAF Nations League games. We win these. We qualify for the Nations League finals, which I'm excited about. I think meaningful competition where you can win some silverware is always good. Lest we forget, it's a way that sort of Greg Berhalter changed some hearts and some minds, some being the operative term there, when, when they beat Mexico and, and got that, that, that championship. So I think in that way, this can be really big. It can be really positive. And then at the same time, still feel like, okay, but what's the direction of the program? Who's taking over? And so there's just that sort of duality that I still struggle with a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of fun names, and maybe we'll go through them quickly just to keep listeners up to date if they haven't already seen some of this stuff. But Taylor, I agree with literally everything you just said. Like, we're not going to make any grand sweeping conclusions about this team from these two games. Pretty much in, in games like this, El Salvador will be a much better test than Granada and to get to the final four of the nations like the U.S. pretty much just has to beat El Salvador like the Granada game doesn't really matter in in terms of advancing you should still want to play well enough to beat Granada because if you don't then that's that's not ideal really the things we can learn here are you know who looks bad that like that's how I think about these games is, yep. is who doesn't look up to the level really every single player should look up to this level like they are playing at a level at their club careers in their club careers where they should be able to hang and do much more than hang but really, you know, it, it's going to be it, it's going to be difficult to say, you know, what we learned about Gio Reyna if he comes out here and balls against Granada. Like, like that's we should expect that. That doesn't tell us anything new. So it's going to be difficult to learn new things about players who do really well. And so in things like this, in camps like this, and in matches like the ones that the U.S. men's national team will play, they've got Granada on Friday, March twenty fourth. That's a week from tomorrow as we're recording on Thursday, and El Salvador on Monday the twenty seventh. No, it's going to be more about who doesn't quite look like they fit or who doesn't look like they're quite there right now in their career. Joe, um, I don't want to upset you, but I just got an all-caps text message from an unknown number that was really angry that it took us four minutes to mention Gio Reyna's name. It said that we were clowns for not mentioning him earlier. Uh, Very upset about his placement in the show order. So just wanted you to know it sounds like some people are frustrated. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that a lot. Um, I've just, I just decided got a text to block from the lawyer. By the way, Taylor, he said stop talking. <laughs> I've just decided to block anyone with the initial CR or DR, and for my phone, and that's that's helped. I've lost some friends that way, but 
Um, it feels like it's worth it. <laughs> Uh, as a reminder, <laughs> listener, this is the Nations League games we're talking about coming up here. As Joe mentioned, the US is in Group D uh, in League A of the CONCACAF Nations League and the games against El Salvador and Granada coming up. Top spot, as Taylor mentioned, gets the Nations League berth and the finals happening this June. Second spot gets the Gold Cup berth. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Taylor, I'll give you um, some positive news for the US. We'll Please. go through the players in a second, but um, AFC Wimbledon have a player involved in these games. AFC Wimbledon's Aaron Pierre has been selected for Granada as a centre-back. The good news is he not good at being a centre-back. So um, <laughs> I, I don't think Granada watched the AFC Wimbledon-Doncaster game last weekend as I had to do. Uh, so I think that's a, uh, th- there's, some, there's some potential in that game, I'll say, Taylor. So uh, do, you, do you want to t- uh, run through some of the players, perhaps? He's, this, so uh, he's, he's not a full Spice Boy? He, he's, he's like a discount Spice Boy, this player from Wimbledon? Half-off, yeah, half-off Spice Boy. Yeah, he, he's... Uh... If, if he's paying attention for the ninety minutes, I'll be impressed. Wait, uh, so so what you're saying, what you're saying, Ryan, is that Wrexham probably aren't going to be swooping in for him like they did Ali Palmer. <laughs> Ouch, my heart, Joe! All why right. did you do that? Why just did you just do to that? confirm, thank you. All right, uh, should we start uh, start off with defenders yeah. or goalkeepers? What do you feel like, goalkeepers, Taylor? Yeah, let's do goalkeepers. We've got Zach Steffen, we've got Matt Turner, we've got Ethan Horvath. Uh, Zach Steffen back in the fold. Matt Turner still in the fold. Ethan Horvath also still in the fold. Uh, Joe, do you have a preference for who you would like to see in this one? I know that you would always love to see Matt Turner, uh, but from everything I have read and the few clips I've seen, it does seem like Ethan Horvath is having himself an okay season. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see Stefan back in here as well. Like, I, I'm happy for him in particular of this group. Horvath, I think, is a capable goalkeeper. I don't see any reason to see anybody but Matt Turner in these games. If you're not bringing in Gaga Slanina, which I think is understandable, you let him continue to acclimate in, in Chelsea. He had pretty much just been there for a couple of weeks before coming back for January camp a couple of months ago now. So you give him a longer stretch of sustained time there and in their system. I think that's valuable. But yeah, you do need to you need you do need to get something from these games. And Matt Turner is the goalkeeper that if all hell breaks loose, he's the guy you want cleaning up the mess. Uh, in defense, we have uh, Serginio Dest, Mark McKenzie, Tim Ream, Brian Reynolds, Anthony and Miles Robinson, Joe Skelly, and Austin Trusty Taylor. What do we make mm-hmm. of that pack? This would be the one that I think goes to Joe's point that like we can't learn a ton about this team, but we can learn about the individuals. And so we've talked plenty about Serginho Dest in episodes past and the form or lack of form he is in this season. This is an opportunity for him to come in, be around familiar faces, and and we would assume mostly uh, positive faces at that. And so hopefully he has a little bit of just swagger back and has himself a good time. And we are remem- remembering why Dest is such a good player by the end of this camp. I would say Austin Trusty can prove himself. Brian Reynolds could do the same. Mark McKenzie even, a player that I think has had up and down performances and not really impressed to the level that we would like at least in my opinion like again these are games where you have two solid performances it's not going to make me think okay you should be the starter you're you're now the number one center back in the pool or anything like that but I think it's just an opportunity to show you are capable of performing at this level even with the situation being as it is yeah, it's it's strange not to see CCV and Chris Richards in here. Just yes, to mention, I know Graham's not here, and he would have led this with CCV. We would have <laughs> hit that before we hit Reina. So, Graham, I apologize for that. I let you down. Um, I'll do better next time. It, it's surprising not to see them involved here. Uh, I don't think it means a lot. You know, Anthony Hudson is, it seems like, the guy calling the shots right now, and he's not going to be the guy calling the shots for that much longer. With two competitions coming up this summer, most likely with the Nations League Final Four, depending on how these games go, but there will be a Nations League Final Four and the Gold Cup. 
the U.S. is probably going to bring multiple rosters or at least a lot of different players for those different competitions. We should see CCV there. We should see Chris Richards there. So I'm not really bothered that they're not involved here. Brian Reynolds is probably the name that I'm most excited about of any of these defenders. He is... I think his ceiling is higher than anybody else in this group that we've just mentioned. He's finally getting some good quality reps and playing well in Belgium with Westerloo. So excited to see what he brings and trying to already temper my uh, optimism and bring that back down a little bit. Uh, yeah, and if we're talking about players we're excited to see, mine would be Austin Trusty uh, from this group. He's one that when we did our, if you have to win a game right now, who would you like put into your starting 11? I had him on the short list for center backs just because, again, from everything I've read, he has been a reliable and consistent performer for Birmingham City this season, albeit in the championship. But still, to have a center back starting most games, playing good football, and like not having those howler moments that we sometimes get when you're only getting highlight moments from players, I'm excited to see him uh, playing for the U.S. and just get an opportunity to see him for more than like highlight clips and the like. I'm sure he'll be excited to not be in the Midlands of England for a few weeks as well. What, uh, good for him. Uh, <laughs> midfield pack, Brendan Aronson, Johnny Cardoso, Luca De La Torre, Weston McKenney, Jonas Musa, and Alan Sonora Taylor. Uh, I just got two more angry text messages. Yes, uh, there's one in all caps from Graham Ruffin, very annoyed about CCV. And then the entire Midlands sent another one, uh, Ryan, very frustrated. Yeah. This midfield uh, has one major name missing. That would be Tyler Adams. He pulls out with a hamstring injury. Lots of suspicious suspicion and speculation that he's going to be fully fit and ready to play when Leeds return, and maybe he will be. Uh, but I don't really read anything into that aside from he's played a lot of games and a lot of minutes. These aren't critical games necessarily, and so if there is a minor injury or a somewhat more like significant injury. I don't begrudge him at all for not, for not being here. So no Tyler Adams opens up the idea of who will play in his role. Will we go with a 4-2-3-1 and have sort of two people trying to do that role? Will we give an opportunity to somebody to, to just sort of sit deep and try to make that role their own in this situation? I think that will be a very interesting thing to watch with this team, how they shape that midfield and who goes into it to start. Very nice. Uh, Joe, the forward pack, Taylor Booth, Daryl DK, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Tim Weir, Alex Zendayas, or Zendayas? What do we say? Zendayas, right? Zendayas, yeah, Zendayas. Zendayas. Very good. And uh, Claudio and Daniel's little soldier. <laughs> yeah, so I really like I really like this winger core for me. Taylor Booth, Pulisic, Reyna, Wea, Zendayas, and Brendan Aronson, if you bring him up from the midfielders. You know, those six players represent a, a really strong contingent. Still not a proven, game-changing, top 20 player in the world superstar in there, but, I mean, really solid. Getting Booth involved, getting Zendejas involved now firmly for the future. He's decided to play for the U.S. over Mexico. That news came out earlier this week. It's great to see him involved here. I thought he was he, he was promising in January camp playing in that first game and has done a lot of good stuff for Club America. He can play as an eight, like he likes to be more inside. He's not really a, a boots on the chalk kind of winger, but he's a he's a creative guy. He's a crafty guy. I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to see Booth as well. For me, these six players that I just mentioned represent the strongest possible group you can bring. And to see you know the U.S. go to the World Cup with Pulisic, Reyna, Wea, Aronson, and Morris, and then come in and add Zendejas and Booth, two players that have been very good to that core. I I mean that has me excited. Less so for these particular games and more so for what we could start to see in games that matter a little bit more over the next 12, 16 months. Joe, question for me. You said Brian Reynolds uh, had the 
like highest potential upside or thereabouts uh, in his position group. If you're expanding it to the whole roster, is he above Taylor Booth in that a hype meter, or would you put Taylor Booth at the top? So Taylor Booth, I'm more hyped on based off of how he's actually performed. Brian Reynolds, I've just I've just kept my stock in in I like see. the back corner of my closet <laughs> yes. because he is. If you've watched Brian Reynolds play, and, and listeners, I'm guessing a lot of you have, but probably not in recent years, he is an Alfonso Davies level athlete. Like he is, he is a top 0.01 percent athlete in any sport. He is incredibly fast, has solid technical ability for his athletic profile. Tall, strong. I mean, he's just he's just insane out there. But Booth has been really good. He can play a little bit more centrally. He can play out wide. He's going to most likely hang out in the half spaces in this camp. But I'm excited about Booth. And then quickly on the nines, DK and Pepe, you really only need two because you got two games. It's not going to be a big deal. I'm guessing one starts one, the other one starts the other. The biggest number nine news that I'm excited about, not to minimize those players getting called back in because it is good to see them back in the fold. Is Hudson saying, I think Tom Bogart asked him in the presser, you know, we're talking to Balogun. Like, we're, we're calling for Lauren Balogun. There's, there's a dialogue there. I think the quote was, all I'll say is there's an open dialogue with Balogun and his team, with him and his team. And that dialogue is continuing. Now, we have no idea what that dialogue looks like. It could be like, oh, hey, you interested in playing for us? And Balogun says, mm, I don't know, probably not, but we'll, we'll see. We don't know what that looks like, but the fact that there is something happening there, even without any sort of leadership in place, is super important. Did we see Balogun turn down a call up to Nigeria? Did I read that recently? So I feel like he's, what, triple eligible or maybe even quadruple. I forget how many nations he can play for. Uh, but I, I believe Nigeria also on the hunt, but that did not work out for them so far. So I'm taking that as a positive as well, Joe, that he has not yet represented another national team at senior level so far. Yeah, nice. I didn't see that, but that sounds good for the U.S. My question then for you, Joe, uh, since since we've covered the Balogun one, and I'm very hopeful that that recruitment continues, if you have the Brian Reynolds stock in the closet, like you're waiting to see, maybe he comes back in, is there any other stock that you have back there that you are maybe less excited to see come back in? Like, who who are the players? Is there a player in there that you were like, this guy's going to be the guy? And maybe you're still hopeful, but it's feeling less and less likely. Yeah. Like, do, do you have some embarrassing Andrew Carlton stock? Because I guess I what mean, I'm getting at. <laughs> I, I think Andrew Carlton would be a great player, Taylor, for your uh, for your Sunday League team. I think he's, he's got all the sauce you want on a small-sided game. Uh, and I think did some good stuff in, in USL, I think with Las Vegas Lights, which just feels so right in so many ways last weekend. Um, <laughs> other stuff, I mean, I, I would need to think about that a little bit more, but my answer yeah. for this squad is Pepe. It's way mm-hmm. too early for me to say that I'm embarrassed to have that stock, but Taylor, I distinctly remember a conversation that you and I had right around when he when all the news was coming out about, you know, who's he going to pick, the U.S. and Mexico, and you asked me what level of a prospect he was, and I think I said nine and a half out of ten on one of our Americans in Action shows, and that's, that's like, never been validated so far. He's still an extremely young player. Strikers take time to develop. He has not really been the kind of player that I thought he would be, and part of that is because the club trajectory that he's taken has been downright awful, but... I'm hoping that we see Pep become good because he does have a lot of the traits you want in a really dangerous, goal-dangerous number nine. Yeah, and he's one who I I recall being pretty, as like publicly upset as you can be about not being called in uh, for the World Cup, that his agent released a statement. There's the video of him like putting on a Dutch jersey, which was, I think, taken out of context. I'm assuming he lost a bet there to a Dutch teammate. Uh, But still, to have him back in 
it just means there isn't that much of a like a frostiness to the relations that he is still in the pool. He is still in consideration with the season he's having with Groningen. Maybe he goes back to Augsburg and, and kind of keeps that form going and justifies that nine and a half out of 10 hype from Joe Lowry. But I think that's another one where you've got him back in there. It's good to see him involved. I would say the same of Daryl DK. Uh, many different injuries. There's fitness issues. The last time we saw him for the U.S., he just didn't look sharp. And I feel like this is an opportunity for him to, again, not sort of take over that number nine spot, but further his the argument that he should be considered in that conversation. Uh, we need to take a break, but real quick, Joe, I just want to sort of surmise this March window. How important is this for this program? Because obviously there's a, there's a, I don't know if we can call it a period of stasis at the moment. There's some uncertainty, certainly in the technical positions on on this team how important is it how important is it to get the wins here obviously uh, the u.s in second place in the group in the nation's league and probably a few more things to prove here beating el salvador is important because it gets you to the important games like it gets you to the whole reason you play these nation's league games is to get to the last four like there's not a lot of value for the u.s in playing teams to be honest in playing teams like granada and, and el salvador outside of World Cup qualification where sort of all things go out the window. I, I think these are important games, specifically El Salvador. The Granada game, to be honest, doesn't matter much at all because of how the, the permutations go in this group. But the El Salvador one does because it sets them up to play against teams like Canada and Mexico, maybe two games against those in June, which is important. So it's good to get guys in together. I think it's also important because Gio Reyna is back with this team. And he's going to have a chance, and the, the group is going to have a chance to move forward and really get past that together. That seems valuable to me as well. But in terms of on-field results, you know, go out there, be professional, do your job, win these games, especially the El Salvador one, and set yourself up to actually have a good test this summer. Yeah, I, I think on that note, I, I talked about the Dave Sarakin era and sort of that interim year that we had back in 2018. And I think there are some connections here. And I look at, say, the, the game against France, the friendly against France in 2018. The U.S. draws one-to-one on the road. And it's a good performance, not a great performance. You've got some, some young players in there that we hadn't seen previously. You've got new blood involved. They're just doing different things. They look like a team. Again, these are very like bare-bones bare levels, basic requirements. But I remember at the time thinking just sort of like, ah, do we really care about this? Do we need to talk about this? There's so much other stuff happening with the program and with soccer in the world. And then that result happens, and it's just sort of, it's just a small positive. It's just like, okay, even if things aren't great, things are still moving forward. We've still got talent. We've still got players. And I think that's what these games could be, an opportunity. It's not going to fix everything. We're not going to feel way better about the program and the future of the program and the unanswered questions that we all have. It's just a reminder that like this team is still good. There's plenty of talent there. They can get results, and we should be excited about the future of the, of the team itself and the players involved, if not the program. Just one quick correction or, or update before we go to break. Uh-oh. I just saw a tweet from Brian Charetta that said, in terms of the USMNT roster, U.S. soccer clarifies that in addition to Tyler Adams, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Chris Richards, Josh Sargent, and Malik Tillman were all left off this roster because they're dealing with some level of injury. So that answers mm. the that answers the questions from before about why some of these players aren't involved, specifically CCV and Chris Richards. So there's the, the follow-up from earlier. I swear I saw a report from CCV's camp, as it's now called, uh, that he was not injured, but maybe that was just uh, internet rumoring and the like. So, uh, Or maybe it was the wrong camp member. Maybe he's got a big old camp and they went to the person who doesn't actually know things. Hopefully that is incorrect, and instead it's just everybody carrying Knox and U.S. soccer being cautious with their selections. Oh, wow. Everyone who goes to camp has their own respective camp. Now I'm, now I'm getting confused. Uh, <laughs> Campception. Well, that feels like a good point to take a break. 
when we come back, let's run through the Champions League round of 16 games from this week. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to the Champions League. Why don't we start off at the Etihad Stadium, Man City 7, RB Leipzig, nil. 8-1 on aggregate. Man City go through Erling Haaland with just the five goals in this one. Just the five, breaking a club, club record for the most goals in a season, Taylor. It is mid-March in a season where we had a five-week break, so he's doing okay, I would say, on that basis. Uh, only he and Leo Messi have scored five goals in a Champions League knockout game as well. I've got to say, Taylor, Nation State versus Energy Drink conglomerate, a tough one for the neutrals, this one, but and it, probably the most entertaining game of the week. It really was, especially... Because coming into this game, I thought it was going to be a fascinating back and forth. The first three minutes or so, a very good sort of encapsulation of what I thought this game was going to be. Two teams very focused on playing out of pressure, keeping the ball moving, but then pressing high, playing very intense football. And there's a moment inside the first two or three minutes when Leipzig do play out of City's press. It's a little bit fortunate because it's basically they hoof it long. Uh, John Stones is a little bit slow to track, I believe, Subosly going across the middle. Subosly gets the ball, now Leipzig are away. Then City win the ball back now their way, and it's back and forth, and this is exactly what it's going to be. And then I think Leipzig kept doing what they were doing. Man City settled into the game a little bit and I think started executing Pep's game plan a little bit more efficiently, a little bit more effectively. Uh, A few more runs get tracked more immediately. And suddenly this game is basically Leipzig being slowly suffocated until Erling Haaland scores five goals. I think this is one of those examples where... I hope this makes sense. I've tried to think about how to explain this, but we talk so often about how Pep overthinks things, about how he gets his tactics wrong in these big moments and tries different things and then they don't work. And there it is, Pep overthinking. And this is an example for me where he does do things a little bit differently. I think he did do some interesting tactical wrinkles and got it all completely right. And as much as we criticize him when he gets it wrong, I think this is a game where he deserves massive praise, as do his players. You can just see his influence across the board. I will try not to go on for another five minutes, Joe. Um, I will take a breath at some point. But just the precision of the angles in the way Bernardo Silva cuts off balls and the way Jack Grealish is cutting off balls and the way then somebody steps to the, the man that Bernardo Silva was marking so Bernardo Silva can step up and track somebody and the whole team is just in in sync across the board for basically the first 45 minutes which is as much as they needed to be to have that 3-0 lead I, I thought this was Man City looking like the best team on the planet in those 45 minutes well well conversely to that Joe uh, as good as Man City were Leipzig were yeah they were just abjectly terrible how like it, it felt like they could barely clear a ball at times like what what was going on there? Was it the fact that Man City were just on it or they, they surely had their own misgivings as well? 
This is absolutely a case of both of those things being true. City were phenomenal in this game, and Taylor, you're right to point that out. I think a lot of the conversation that that we have and that people have about Pep overthinking things is a little silly, personally. I think just because you make tactical changes in big moments, I mean, every coach makes big tactical decisions Mm -hmm. in big moments. We just happen to roast them when they go wrong, like when you lose a game. But just because you lose a game doesn't necessarily mean you played badly. So I I think a lot of that discussion is is a little silly at times. But in this particular game, Pep absolutely deserves credit because he, he had some smart tactical choices and they won. So it's like the best of both worlds. So we can praise him for that. At the same time, Leipzig were, it was honestly comical in this game. And it's it's a lot easier to look comical when you have a roadrunner like meep, meeping in behind your back line every three seconds. <laughs> but I will say, the, the real battle in this game that I saw was Man City's press, which Taylor, I know you were hyped about in this game, against mm-hmm. Leipzig's buildup. That was the sequence we saw play out over and over and over again. It's exactly where the second goal comes from of City press, Leipzig can't deal with it. They have to sort of you know panic. City win the ball back. Akanji plays it up to Holland. Holland does Holland things. I think De Bruyne takes a shot. It goes off the bar. There's 8,000 goals in this game, so apologies for getting that slightly confused. But the, the press in this game was was perfect from City. So the, the first variation that they showed that I saw in the first couple of minutes was they were defending in a 4-4-2 with De Bruyne and Holland as the front two. You have Bernardo on one side. You have Jack Grealish on the other side. And Rodri and Gundogan as the two defensive midfielders. So they were pressing up in that 4-4-2. John Stones at right back. Nathan Ake at left back. And then two center backs between them. The first variation was strikers to center backs. So Holland and De Bruyne pushed up onto Leipzig center backs. Wingers to fullbacks. Fullbacks to wingers. Man-oriented in central midfield. Like a lot of just simple matchups against Leipzig's 4-2-3-1. Then they change it up, and I think the second variation is really what they were going for because this is what we saw much more as the game progressed. But it was Holland and De Bruyne hanging back on Leipzig central midfielders, yeah. and it was Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish going to step towards the center backs. But they're not just stepping like if I was to run towards you, Taylor, like in a straight line. They're not running like that. They're curving around from That's out to in yeah. so that as they go and press the center backs, and you can see this so clearly when you watch the tape, as they go to press the center backs, they're also blocking off access to the fullbacks. So basically in one run, they cut off access to the center back, they cut off access to the fullback, and then even as Leipzig would play out to their right side, City's left, Bernardo on the right wing would curve around, and after the goalkeeper for Leipzig would pass it over to the right side of their uh, buildup, then Bernardo Silva would go and close down the goalkeeper. So in one sort of curved right-to-left diagonal, almost upside-down Nike swoosh kind of run, Bernardo Silva has cut off three players. And I, I, the natural response to this, and I, I kept wondering as I watched this game, is like, why doesn't everyone do this, right? Why is every winger not curving his run to cut out three players? The answer is because usually you get forced to pay. Like, usually the other team actually starts to play through you. They drop another player deep into the back line. They drop a midfielder. The winger comes inside. Or they play over the top. And you have some sort of penalty. You're punished somehow for doing these things and for having one player essentially mark three all in one sequence. The thing for Leipzig, and Ryan, I know I've gone long. This loops all the way back to your initial question. The thing that Leipzig did so poorly in this game is they just kept falling into the trap. Like, they never tried in the first 30 minutes of this game. They never tried to do something different. They never tried to go long. They never tried to be a Red Bull team. They just tried to be kind of a crappy possession build-up team and against City and their press when clearly Leipzig weren't clever enough or creative enough or didn't have enough direction to play through like they they were punished over and over again and the game was over because of how slowly they adjusted in this match and to Joe's point I think there are moments in those first 30 minutes when they 
sort of tried to do something different and not different enough that it made a difference, but that instead of sort of some of the passing rotations that they clearly had practiced where it's goal kick, goes to a center back, center back either plays it to a fullback who pings it up the pitch or the center back tries to play it centrally. They had certain patterns that they clearly wanted to go through that each player sort of checks their options and if it's not on, they play it backwards. As the the half progresses and those options just continually are not there, I think they tried to do individual things. The one that stands out of my head is uh, Forsberg checks back 30 yards, receives the ball into feet, and like as it's coming into him, checks around and realizes that every single option is cut off. So he tries to control the ball and turn and make something happen himself. He turns right into the two center backs who have tracked him. Akanji just wins the ball easily. City reestablished possession. And so even when Leipzig would try to change it up and do things on an individual level, they really had no joy. And so ultimately what I saw them doing is hoofing it long, but because they were set up to try to build out and try to keep possession, they never had an outlet. They never had anybody there to make Manchester City uncomfortable when they got the ball. And so it's Leipzig either giving the ball away in their own third or hoofing it long and giving it back to City. And this is where I think the uh, the brilliance of what City were trying to do is really showcased. That sometimes when City won the ball back, it was an immediate vertical attack. It was either one player winning the ball and dribbling forward and trying to make something happen, or it would be pass, 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 but always advancing the ball. And then there would be other times when City would win the ball back. Uh, there's one I remember near the end of the... I have it in my notes somewhere. Not near the end. It's the 11th minute. Uh, it's basically ball goes almost out of bounds. Uh, it's cleared by Leipzig. And Manuel Akanji sprints, keeps it in bounds, realizes he's under pressure, and plays it all the way back to Aderson. And then Manchester City slowly reset everybody and this is where I think they got they had watched enough footage of Leipzig to know what Leipzig wanted to do because Leipzig would then step all the way up and regularly uh, Joe sometimes I think I get I get you confused when I say narrow versus like vertical or whatever but in my mind it was Leipzig stepping everybody up but keeping them all within an 18 to 24 yard space so they're like vertically compressed they've got everybody in this one zone but what that means is that if they're all in that space there's a center back sitting a little bit deeper for Manchester City who now has nobody pressuring him and then you have Erling Haaland as you said dropping in onto those central midfielders for Leipzig the center back's not following him and then once the opportunity is there as it was in this 11th minute moment this is the one where Erling Haaland has that lung busting run right through the middle and almost scores it he then can turn at midfield start that sprint and now he is at full speed as Akanji plays that ball in against a back line who are static and really high up the pitch and so it was City being vertical when they would win the ball back high but also vertical when they would win the ball back deep and when you have Erling Haaland who can make those runs that sort of multifaceted approach you can see why Leipzig were just dizzy basically because there's so many different ways they can attack you and hurt you you plug one hole two more open up and you end up losing the way they did so Leipzig with a little bug on the spider's web and City were just setting the trap letting them think they could press and then it was all a little ruse to get <laughs> yeah, the ball back up the yeah, other end to Joe's point about like like usually you open yourself up when you try to kind of press and make those runs and put the opponent under pressure. It's the equivalent of like in checkers when you never move your back back row so nobody can ever get like the king. Uh, but in this case, it's Man City would move their back row and then suddenly just another piece would materialize. So they were never ever in any threat and somehow still had pieces moving forward. I, I think it was just... A phenomenal game, uh, even for me, a person who doesn't necessarily love Manchester City. The intensity, that second goal, Joe already talked about it a little bit. But I think it was just telling to me that so many teams after they've scored that early would be like, yep, 
we did it. We got this, guys. And that they score within, what, two minutes by pressing and winning the ball back and then lumping it long to De Bruyne. De Bruyne hits that shot. It's just very representative of how direct and aggressive Manchester City wanted to be in this game. That was a wonderful uh, strike from Kevin De Bruyne there. Good to point out, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Two other highlights for me. Of course, Noel Gallagher being on the CBS coverage before the game. Yes. And saying in that coverage, uh, the, uh, the host, Jules Bridge, said, will you come back after the game? And he was like, even if we're going to lose, I'll come back. He didn't come back. I watched the whole post game and he didn't come back. So that was sad. Uh, it was good to see Noel, though. I'm sorry, uh, buddy. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. I'll get over it. I'll get over it. I'll go see him will you? play his instrument at some point. That'll make me uh, feel better. Um, the other highlight, Pep Guardiola's press conference. Yes. Uh, his quote, yes. I have I have three idols in my life. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts years ago came to Manchester, not in the period of Alex Ferguson, when they were winning the title after title. In the last four or five years, when we were better than them. But she didn't come to see us. She went to visit Man United. Even if I win the Champions League, I will not ease the disappointment of Julia Roberts going to United. My idol. Um, Pep's sense of humour, I guess this oh. is. I, I cannot believe Graham is not here. Like, like I know I kind of joked earlier with the CCB stuff. This is, Graham, this is the major reason why I'm sad, other than the fact that I just miss you and I hope you're having fun on vacation. But this is this is elite Graham Rutherford material. Graham is the one who was first on this beat of Pep's post-game com- comments just generally being completely absurd. Mm. This one falls into that category. I mean, what a trio, right? Jordan, Tiger, and Julia Roberts. I mean, that, I, so good. It's so I good, have, guys. I have a theory. I have a theory. Uh, it connects to, for people who have seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, they may get this one. For people who haven't, uh, Andre Brower plays Captain Holt. Uh, he was very by the book. Uh, the joke about him is that he's a robot. And his favorite uh, movie within the show is Moneyball. And it cuts to a scene of him crying, watching it, saying, the statistical analysis is just so beautiful. <laughs> and I, all I can think is that Pep Guardiola watched Aaron Brockovich and was just like, she, the focus, the attention to detail, the way she never <laughs> lets up, the way she's on every single detail and attacks every single point. She is a hero. So I, I have to believe it's Aaron Brockovich that Pep Guardiola is obsessed with, the movie that made him realize that you can sort of just keep throwing uh, stuff at the larger company until eventually they fall down. I feel like Pep Guardiola just keeps throwing instruction until eventually it gets through and it has the impact. It's a good movie tale. I mean, Michael Bolton in that Lonely Island song also appreciated Aaron Brockovich. He's a major cinephile. Maybe Pep is as well. Um, let's uh, let's park that game. A quick look Turns at Porto. Turns out Michael Bolton is a major cinephile. Indeed. <laughs> Porto nil into nil. Uh, Porto going, sorry, into going through 1-0 on the Romelu Lukaku goal from the first leg. Inter in the quarterfinals for the first time since 2011. Two Serie A teams. Uh, three Serie A teams at this stage now. I'm getting all my numbers wrong in this hmm. one. Not bad, though, for three Italian teams to be in it at this point. Uh, Taylor, lots and lots of injury time drama. We got, I think, like, the games were timed perfectly because when when the um, City game ended, we got bonus coverage of this game. And it basically, when it all kicked off, when uh, when there was the, the woodwork was hit twice, there was a goal line clearance, it was a good ending to this game. It was. It was weird that Fox tried to cut in to then cut away to baseball in the middle of that game, too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I thought, and there was so much drama near the end of this game But a lot of it had to do with Inter very clearly trying to slow the game down, not just with sort of the dark arts and play acting, but also just accidentally getting two balls on the pitch. So now the goal kick has to be taken a little bit more slowly. The throw-in has to be taken slowly. Oh, Onana, he doesn't like the placement of the goal kick, so he's got to move the ball a little bit. They just did a really good job of wasting those few seconds of never letting Porto get into the attacking rhythm that they needed to to be back into this game. And that's where I want to spotlight the Porto supporters 
were very aware this was happening. And there were certainly boos. There was certainly uh, a lot of frustration with the way Inter played this one out. But I think at the same time, there was a, 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 an audible attempt to keep the energy really high. There were drums throughout. It was lots of chanting. It was lots of singing. And, and that's par for the course. But I think in this game, when the fans could have let that frustration boil over and then everybody's just mad and maybe we get a red card, it's a credit to them that they just kept the energy positive and lively. And I do think that is a good reason why Porto were able to sort of keep trying in this game and not just get overly frustrated by the way it played out. Uh, so credit to the atmosphere and the Porto supporters, even if it didn't end up happening. And I would say it didn't end up happening because Inter just very good at protecting a 1-0 lead. Uh, their their defense was really solid in this one, positioning very good. Even when it wasn't, I thought Andre Onana uh, really made some saves and made some plays that that never made me feel like Porto were truly going to get back into this game. Joe, the dictator of Porto, I, I'm sure that you are upset by everything I've just said, so I turn it to you. I'm just devastated, you know? Like, I put my heart and my soul into this city. I give new regulations that are supposed mm-hmm. to, you know, develop this place, and uh, it maybe benefit me a little bit, and this is what I get. Like, this is what I get. Champions League failure from Porto. It's devastating. <laughs> um, you need to really Joe, you got to tighten your yeah. grasp, and I said you got you got to be t- tougher on them. You know, I'm working on cloning Taremi. Uh, I'm working on cloning <laughs> Diogo Costa. It's not going great, I'll be honest. Um, but we're making some progress in small ways. The, it really was the goalkeepers that stood out for me in this game. Diogo Costa was full on sweeper keeper at times, which I really enjoyed. He's still a, a fun player to watch. And then Onana, Taylor, you mentioned Onana. He didn't have a ton to do in terms of shot stopping until the second half of this game. But, I mean, he made a couple of strong saves, yes, Ryan. You mentioned the, the latter moments of this, sort of after the other game had ended. The best moment, I thought, from this entire match, the most important one as well for Inter, was Onana making some diving saves. Like, this diving save to his right in, in deep in second half stoppage time. 76. Oh, okay. There's the other one. Yeah, the yeah there, there's minute. another one that earlier, but this one, yeah. this one comes in stoppage time. So it's like, it's crunch time here. And Onana dives down to his right to push a Taremi header basically onto the post that then it bounces out. And this comes after... Right. He makes a really impressive double save in the first leg. Onana hasn't really been all that good for Inter this year. He's been fine, but when you go through and look at the numbers, you know, he's he's been slightly below what you'd expect of a of an average goalkeeper. But I mean, he's he's been massive in this particular tie, and we know he can be more than what he's shown at club level in the league. If Onana is is this, like if this is the version of of Andre Onana that we're seeing in the Champions League, Inter are not going to be an easy out in the next round. All right, let's uh, turn our attention to the Wednesday games. Let's go to the Bernabeu. Real Madrid 1, Liverpool 0. Real Madrid going through 6-2 on aggregate in this one. Kareem Benzema getting the goal on Wednesday. For the fourth time in six seasons, Madrid have eliminated Liverpool from the Champions League. A couple times in slightly more important games than this, arguably. Um, Yeah... Liverpool fans are probably hoping they won't face Real Madrid again, but, you know, don't worry. You're not going to face them next season, hey? There's always that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Joe, Joe, what do we think about this? A, a, a decent opening half hour, I thought, of this game, and then I it, it slightly lost my attention. That might be my fault, though. Uh, it, no. I mean, if, if it's your fault, it's my fault, too, because I'm, I'm kind of in a similar boat here. Liverpool just never showed any real thrust like the open the first 10 15 minutes of this game were chaotic and they were a little bit more open I think than Real Madrid would have wanted them to be but then it did sort of fall into this pattern of Liverpool trying to probe and and trying to find gaps through Real Madrid had a solid defensive structure in this game that Liverpool really couldn't find their way through and then Liverpool I thought struggled to control stretches of this match Madrid created more chances they created better chances they ended up having more of the ball as well none of those things 
are surely what Jurgen Klopp's hope would have been heading into this game, where you need to climb back multiple goals to get back into this tie. Like it just it, none of this went according to plan for for Liverpool. To give credit to Real Madrid, the biggest thing that I took from this game and the biggest thing that I noticed was really the wingers being so aggressive tracking back to give Real Madrid extra cover in their defensive shape. It was extremely impressive to me. You had Fede Valverde, who always does this stuff, right? So you had him on the right side, often dropping back to form a back five for Real Madrid when they were defending against Liverpool's possession. But on the other side, Vinicius Jr., who's who's a true winger, and Fede Valverde is, is very much not. He's more of a utility guy. And all the attacks in this match pretty much funneled through Vinny on the left. Vinny Jr. was even running back to track and to deal with Trent Alexander-Arnold and to deal with Mo Salah on that right side for Liverpool's attacking shape. He was doing the dirty work. And, and for me, thinking back about the long chats we had about PSG last week after they, they dropped out of the Champions League, we did the big thing about them. Vinicius Jr. kind of embodies the difference to me between a club like Real Madrid that is still built on superstars, that is still kind of built in a wonky way. It seems like this team is hanging on Luka Modric's ability to defy father time to be successful, but it's working for them so far, so credit for that. It seems like this team is is really not all that different from PSG, but you go and you watch 90 minutes of Vinicius Jr. and how hard he works in every phase of the game, and you go and watch Fede Valverde, a player that, that PSG have, have no one like in their squad, and it starts to become very clear why Real Madrid are so much more effective and their success has been more sustainable than a club like PSG. So credit to Madrid. I really enjoyed watching them in this game and watching some of those little parts of, of Ancelotti's team and, and how they go about winning games. Agreed. And I think, uh, again, I hope this makes sense. Uh, to me, this was Carlo Ancelotti managing this second leg with the advantage they had from the first one. And it felt to me like Liverpool approached this almost as though this were the second half of the first leg. And we've got to like stem the bleeding. We've got to figure out how to nullify them. And then we can find a way to like get some attack going because so much of their opening 20 minutes, I thought were really impressive in the sense that they did a good job of nullifying the threats that were there uh, in the first leg that they lost pretty resoundingly, uh, Liverpool. The way they set up in possession, I saw them in almost a like 2-2-4-2 shape where you had the two center backs stay home, you had the two midfielders ahead, then you had Gakpo uh, and Jota as your two sort of central attackers, you had the fullbacks pushed very high, and I think the idea was that let uh, Nunez and Salah move a little bit more inside, they were sort of in the half spaces, and you had... Lots of players through the middle. You had uh, like sort of the spacing out wide that made Madrid get stretched, but they were never really able to, to do much with that. They weren't able to create many opportunities, but then if they would turn the ball over, if they got a shot and it went out for a goal kick, they would keep those numbers very, very high. They almost had six players within like 30 yards of Real Madrid's goal, which usually would make you vulnerable, except that they then had Konate go and just sit on Vinicius Jr. so that he couldn't get anything going out wide. You had Virgil van Dijk patrolling the middle, and it was all pretty effective at nullifying that sort of fast break threat of Vinny Jr. I think they get one chance off of a Liverpool corner. Madrid are able to counterattack really ruthlessly and almost get a goal there. But that aside, they don't really have any of those sort of wide open counters the way they did in the first leg. And so, again, credit to Liverpool for nullifying that threat. But to Joe's point, it's also the case that Vinicius Jr. tracking uh, much further back to be involved in some of the defensive side of things, but also help establish possession when they would win the ball back. Fede Valverde dropping even deeper. And so some of that sort of defensive approach from Liverpool, I felt like 
nullified a threat, but at times was also overly cautious at the expense of getting any sort of consistent attacking play going. And so this went from a game where I thought Liverpool started really impressively and did a good job of sort of making sure that the game stayed under control. And I think the idea was we'll get a sneaky goal in the first 30 minutes and that will open things up. Then there's an opportunity there for us to make something happen. And I think when it's nil-nil at halftime, the likelihood that they're scoring three in the second half is minimal. And when they really do have to start going forward and get stretched, that's when we get uh, some holes opening up, and that's when Benzema scores. So I I think it was a good 30-minute plan from Liverpool, but that they couldn't push on from there is what cost them overall, but also I think not surprising given some of the limitations we've seen from this Liverpool team, unless they're playing Manchester United and then they are world beaters. Yeah, I mean, probably what cost them overall was the 5-2 loss uh, two yeah. weeks ago as well. I would say that's fair. fair. I would yeah. say that's fair. That's, yeah. that's a big part of it, I'd say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Napoli, eventual Champions League winners, Napoli. That's what I'm calling them for this point. Uh, and CONCACAF Champions League games as well. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Uh, Real Madrid's opponents in the Champions League final, Napoli 3, Eintracht Frankfurt (laughs) nil on Wednesday evening. A 5-0 win for Napoli uh, on aggregate. Nozeman bracing this one, Zielinski with a penalty to Napoli in the quarterfinals for the first time in their history. Not bad. And they're the top scorers in this competition now with 24 goals, which isn't bad considering that City and Benfica both went off in this round. Uh, The build-up to this game overshadowed by... Rather big clashes in the streets between fans in Naples. Uh, the TLDR of this one, Frankfurt had their away ticket allocation taken away 
by the Italian authorities because of trouble in the reverse fixture in Frankfurt. Uh, UEFA and the German FA both pretty outraged by this decision of the Italian authorities, uh, which they argued set a pretty, pretty bad precedent for the game. But hundreds of ultras turned up anyway. Reports that Atalanta fans were teaming up with Frankfurt fans to buy tickets on their behalf as well. And there was trubs. There was big trubs in the streets of Naples. Um, England actually are playing a game in the same stadium next Thursday. I was toying with uh, heading down there. I'm not sure how I feel about that one. But anyway, uh, Napoli 3, I'm track Frankfurt nil in this one, Joe. Napoli looking good still. 100%. They were the better team in this game by a mile. I was, I was a little surprised with how reckless Frankfurt were at times trying to push forward out of a, a, a deeper block. But, I mean, you come into this game with a, a deficit and you do have to climb your way back in. And so they, they tried to be aggressive in moments. Napoli had the majority of the ball still. And the first goal kind of showed. It's Osimhen's goal where he he gets like Air Jordan-level hops in the middle of the box to the point where it felt like Frankfurt just thought he couldn't jump that high. I'm not really sure what was happening with the defensive marking there. But Frankfurt's defensive shape kind of goes into shambles as the ball is played down the right side. Or really, that opens up the opportunity to play the ball down Joe, the right Joe, side. Can and I jump a, in? Was yeah, that was that, an off, was that a bad cross? Uh, and it's a credit to Osman that he was made, able to like get back and get his head on it. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like a great cross. Usually, you want a little bit more heat on those, and it's very much chipped. But it, it could also be the case of you know you know how good of a, an athlete and good of a soccer player and goal scorer Osman is, yeah. and so you know that as a teammate coming in every single day. Like, you know that he's going to be able to get to that ball and you kind of doubt that the defenders are. So it's difficult for me to play mind reader, but I would imagine you hit that ball thinking that Osiman can do something with it. And he did to the point where it inspired Taylor Rockwell to tweet about how, you know, maybe there's some Manchester United connection there, Taylor. Um, Osiman's very, very good. Napoli are very, very good. And Ryan, I respect that you're on your, your prediction grind today with Liverpool not making the Champions League next year and Napoli making the final. <laughs> there's just... A, a crazy amount of arrogance when it comes to the way people talk about the Premier League. I know I'm not breaking new ground here. I'm one of those people who is probably overly arrogant when it comes to the talking about the Premier League. I always but say that. just the way it's just sort of been like, oh, Harry Kane might be ungettable. Spurs might make it difficult. So they'll just go for Victor Osimhen. It's like, oh, you mean one of the best strikers on the planet? Probably the third best attacker in the world right now? Like, yeah, that shouldn't be tough to pull off at all, especially with an owner who is famous for doing things normally and loving being pushed around. Like, I, I just, I think there's a chance Man United get him. I think there's a greater chance he ends up at Real Madrid. Uh, but, but I think the idea that this player who is... An incredibly complete forward, and I think a lot of emphasis gets put on his speed and his physicality, but it's his intelligence for me. It's the decision-making he has. It's, it's his ability to know when to take the shot versus when to, to make the pass. He's a, he's, a, he's a selfishly unselfish player at times, Victor Osimhen, and I think he is just such an incredibly talented and exciting player that sometimes the way it gets discussed is like, Man United uh, might swoop for him if Harry Kane doesn't work out. It's just like, yeah, I think they're going to have... Uh, some competition for that one because, my goodness, is he a very good player. He is indeed. So the draw for the next round is on Friday morning. We've got Bayern, Benfica, Chelsea, Inter and AC Milan, Man City, Napoli and Real Madrid still left in there. I'm, I, I, the draw hasn't happened yet, Taylor. I'm feeling bullish about my Real Madrid-Napoli final prediction. How do you feel about that? I, I'm hoping they draw each other in the next round. 
That that's my my fantasy draw is Napoli Madrid. Uh, just because I feel like that game could finish twelve to eleven, it could finish like nine to eight on aggregate because they're both going to score some goals. They're both going to be pretty exciting in that way. Uh, yeah, I want it uh, Napoli Madrid. I want Chelsea Benfica for the Enzo Fernandez derby, amongst other things. I want a Milan derby, Inter versus Milan, and then I want City versus Bayern. I think that would be pretty amazing. Those are the draws that I hope for, uh, and I'm pretty happy that we don't have Eintracht Frankfurt involved in any of this because I believe there was earlier violence with them. Right? Wasn't there violence between them and Marseille? supporters so this is their second in this season uh I, I know some of the blame has been put on italian uh officials and the like but i would say when it happens twice in a season you got to kind of look at your own people so i, I yeah. think frankfurt being out uh feels like just consequences uh even if they were unlikely to get back into this game from the jump so i'm happy napoli are here I hope they get Madrid. I also hope they don't because I feel like that could just be the inevitable juggernaut finding a way through in the form of Real Madrid uh, winning yet another final. Yeah, it does. Indeed. Yeah, and that's that's a fair point on Frankfurt fans. They have form for this type of behavior, yeah. certainly. Yeah. All right. Uh, CONCACAF Champions League time. Where should we go first? How about Philly 4, Alianza 0, Joe? Woo. Yeah, this is the result that Philly <laughs> needed to get back into this game. No dog in this one, so I I, I guess that's... Whatever, you know, it happens. But Philly were the better team always in this. They grind out a result on the road. They go a little bit more attacking with the lineup in this match. And they get through without Andre Blake, which is which is good. So they weren't punished for not having one of the best goalkeepers in MLS. Joe Bendit keeps a clean sheet. Didn't have all that much to do in this match anyway. Philly are one of the best teams in MLS. They should expect to go through and, and do some damage here. Indeed. You're telling me no dogs involved. No one on the Philadelphia Union has got that dog in them, Joe? I refuse to believe that. I mean, I, we didn't see it. No dogs, Taylor. No dogs. <laughs> uh, well, we, uh, a, a dogged performance from Austin hey. over there. Two legs. Hey, oh, I tied it back. Uh, a 3-2 loss on aggregate to uh, Violette. Violetta? I'm not sure how we got that one either. I believe. Uh, man, this game was fascinating. So, uh, Joe, can you set the stage? Because I feel like mine will be meandering and kind of all over the place. Can you explain why this result is, is so ridiculous? Okay. In a so good I, I plugged this piece from Josh Cloak in The Athletic earlier this week. I'll do it again do it now. Again. If people want like the, the real good stuff and some inside info from members of Violette, go read that piece in The Athletic. I will give the Cliff Notes version now. Villette play in Haiti. They've barely been able to actually play soccer over the last few years between the pandemic and because they're a team in Haiti, which is a country that's in a lot of trouble right now. The first leg of this match was played in the Dominican Republic, so they lose out on home field advantage. There's a giant tree involved. There's a, a band in the stands. There aren't very many people there. And Violette go out there and beat a rotated Austin FC team 3-0. And, and like, like, it deserved 3-0. It wasn't a fluky game. Austin were genuinely atrocious. It, it has one of the best own goals you will ever see in your entire life in that match from Amro Tarek. So Austin come back into this game in Q2 against a team that couldn't get players visas. They couldn't get all of their players visas for this match. So they didn't have enough. They're recruiting from amateur teams in the U.S. with players that they'd had to register before this competition started, I believe, because they always knew there was a chance they couldn't get visas. They have enough players to make a roster. I believe they had 11 starters and three subs for this match. And they hold on and only lose 2-0, which is exactly what they needed to happen. I think they they still... 3-0 would have sent it to extra time. That's right. So 3-0 would have sent it to extra time. 
and they got the result they needed. They were pummeled in this game. Like, Austin were relentless. It looked like, and I think, Taylor, you had this in the doc somewhere. I, I, I don't have it up at the moment. But, like, it looked like Austin were going to just dominate yeah. in this game and score a, a bunch of goals. They get two. They could never get the third. There's some VAR, CONCACAF controversy in here. Yeah. It, I mean, this is the good stuff, right? This is the good CCL stuff right here. I, I could not get enough of this game. Right up until you're an Austin supporter, and then I think you're pretty mad about how that VR went down because it probably should have been a penalty, uh, and that would have sent this one uh, either to penalties or extra time. Either way, I feel like Austin would have had the advantage there. But yeah, Joe, I, I put in the notes that I think it was the 60th minute or so when Austin have pulled their second goal back, or it's right around there, and it just feels like, well, that's it. It's going to be a third goal in the next three minutes. It's going to be a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. And then they just don't do it. They're not able to do it. And partially, that is definitely the pressure of the situation. And they start taking hasty shots. They start taking shots that are maybe ill-advised or low percentage chance opportunities versus keeping the ball and moving it around and really almost like eventually getting the FIFA goal of just pass, 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 and then pass to somebody who's open for a tap-in. And it felt like as as the game went on from that 2-0 scoreline, I just felt like Austin couldn't really put their foot on the game fully and ended up just getting panicky, and then they don't get the result. And it, and it is, I think I've seen many people say this is the biggest upset in the history of the CONCACAF Champions League, given the disparity between the two. And I think it's just, it's a great story, but Violette, the way they fought for everything, they left everything on that pitch, and it's a credit to them, even if Austin fans are probably feeling pretty bitter about the way things played out. Uh, LAFC moving on. They had a 2-1 home loss against Alajuense, but a 4-2 win on aggregate, Joseph. Yeah, not the result that LAFC wanted. I think they're still trying to work out some of the intricacies of their personnel and their rotation. This was the first moment of the season so far where it's been a, huh, maybe this team isn't perfect, which is always true. They they were never going to be perfect. That said, they uh, they were still dominant in this match, and it was Alajuelense's goalkeeper, Marrera, Lionel Morera, who was like Kaylor Navas in this match. Mm. So LAFC were clearly the better team. They were the dominant team in this tie across both legs, and good on them for advancing. Joe, question for you. I saw Michele uh, tweet something along the lines of that Aaron Long might be an issue uh, for LAFC, that he is maybe not fitting into the system as expected. What do you make of that idea? Uh, I I don't agree, and I would be happy to tell McKelly that, that in person as well. Uh, it, it's too early to make any grand sweeping conclusions about this stuff, but it seems like Steve Terundel has gone full German, full mayor of Hanover, and said, you know, we, we don't need to have the ball. We can. We can have the ball, in which case Aaron Long is, is not the best guy. But in games like this, especially where, you know, you don't really need to have your foot on the gas all the time, like Aaron Long is a guy who's going to break up plays. He's going to help you transition into the attack. He's going to cover ground in behind. I don't happen to think that Aaron Long is one of the best center backs in MLS, and I, I'm not really keen on seeing him with a national team much at this point. But he's he's a good player, and to have him in the center back rotation as one of the the four guys that you've got to rotate through, like you can't really ask for much more than that. Joe says Mikele is dumb. Got got to write that one down. Just make sure that we get that one over to Mikele for his. Love you, Mikele. Love you, Mikele. Notarize it. Stamp it. Uh, one last game to talk about: uh, USA three, Colombia two in the World Baseball Classic. Taylor. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that this happened. I was sort of, I'll admit, like, (laughs) no, I guess it's not. I was passively watching this game at this point. So I I was doing research for the big thing for this week. uh, And I was also sort of like compiling my notes for the Champions League review. Had Orlando Tigres on and then sort of looked up and saw baseball and thought, oh, 
did that game end? Like, and then it it took me a minute to realize that, like, no, they they just completely cut away. So over to TUDNA did I go, and forever there I will stay because Fox cutting away in the middle of this game when you then have uh, Orlando get back into it and have a very late penalty shout that I feel like should have gone to VAR. I'm still unclear why it didn't. Uh, this could have gone very much the other way, and so I think it's. It's just uh, it's just another reminder of why something like the Apple TV deal is not a bad thing for Major League Soccer when you don't have to deal with broadcasters just deciding, nah, we need baseball now. Forget about this game that's happening mid-game. We got other things to show. Yeah. Tim Apple wouldn't cut to baseball. That's all I'm saying. It's, I mean, it. I have to believe that MLS and Apple were sort of like, yes, yes, thank you yeah. for making such a ridiculous decision and justifying all the more why this move made sense for Major League Soccer. Like... It's just I, I have no loyalty one way or the other to that deal. It it was just the first thing I thought of of like that stuff's not going to happen anymore. Maybe maybe there's even more positive positives to this one than I realized at first. All right, uh, it was a one-one draw, by the way, Joe. This one uh, with uh, Tigris going through and away goals. Yeah, and, and credit to Orlando for keeping this close. Right, I know there was some controversy as this game ends. Galese kept them. Galese kept them. Keeps them in the first leg down in Mexico. So they're a little bit fortunate to be in this position, but. The talent's here for this team. We haven't really seen it come together yet. This was, I think, their best performance of the season so far, despite you know going out. So things to be encouraged by if you're Orlando City. The hope is now with, with one fewer competition to worry about, you have more of a chance to get your guys' consistent reps together in, in less stressful situations where they can come and grow. You can get Facundo Torres and, and Ojeda playing and, and on the same page, which hasn't happened yet. You can figure out the number nine situation. And with the talent they have, it's entirely possible that this Orlando team is contending for something by the end of the year. I haven't seen all the evidence that, that makes me fully convinced of that. But, you know, in generally encouraging for them. It's a bummer to lose, but you can focus on other stuff now. All right. U.S. roster, UEFA Champions League, CONCACAF Champions League, slightly intrusive baseball. We've covered it all on today's show. Taylor Rockwell, well done, sir. Well done to you, my friend. Thank you for navigating us through all those many different competitions. Oh, I tried. Joe, thank you very much, Captain. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. And listener, thank you for joining us on this intrepid journey. We'll be back on the feed. Look out for our big thing coming shortly. But for now, bye! Bye! 